So we drove home with Annie while her birth mother was still in the hospital recuperating. And then I get a phone call from the attorney saying, I have a little bit of bad news to tell you. The mother just called me this morning and she told me that uh, she wouldn't sign the relinquishment papers. So she wanted the baby back. How do you react to that? Hello, my name is Gabriel Cleeter. I live in East Texas where I work for Christian Ministry and I enjoy listening to the Compelled Podcast. I appreciate how the Compelled Podcast gives a platform for believers to share the word of their testimony. The episodes I've heard have been encouraging, Christ-exalting, and well, compelling. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, where we use gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Our last episode was with Eric Hovind, who grew up in a Christian household and served faithfully in his family's Christian ministry, volunteered at church, and always knew all the right answers. But one night, he came face to face with a shocking realization. He was the product of Christian culture and teaching, but he was a total stranger to Christ. Again, that's our previous episode with Eric Hovind. This week, our guests are Jurgen and Sean Beck, whose individual journeys of faith were initially separated by an ocean. Yet God brought this couple together from opposite sides of the world to minister to those around them in a very special way. So gather around, lean in, and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I first became aware of Jurgen about 13 years ago through some mutual friends and work connections. In fact, just a few years later, Jurgen and I even worked together on a short film project. And that's when I drove to his home and briefly met his wife, Sean. I knew that they were a sweet couple who loved the Lord and loved people. But in the intervening 10 years since then, we haven't really had too many chances to cross paths again. But that changed just a few months ago when I got to sit down with Jurgen and Sean at their home again just south of Dallas, Texas which is about 5,000 miles away from where Jurgen grew up on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean and where our story begins. Yeah, born and raised in Germany uh, back in the early 60s. And if you know a little bit about history, that uh, was just about 17, 18 years away from the end of World War II. There was certainly this kind of a holdover from, you know, the Third Reich and uh, uh, the Nazi times, you know, and uh, that actually played into my life. There was a program called Lebensborn. And Lebensborn was the idea that in order for the German Aryan race to propel forward with their superior thinking, you know, it needed to be that uh, German women needed to basically give birth to children, whether that was as part of a family married or out of wedlock. 
So there's this kind of thinking, very liberal, free thinking in that sense, was sort of a holdover. How that's played out in my life is that um, myself and my two sisters, younger sisters, we were all born by the same father, same mother, but my father was married and had, if I remember this correctly, either four or other five children with his wife. Not your mom? Not my mom, no. In a conservative thinking culture, you would never sort of think that that was the thing to do. But because of that, uh, that period during the Third Reich, you know, this Lebensborn concept, you know, still this kind of holdover, this kind of thinking, you know, that allowed uh, my parents to sort of maintain this relationship over that period of five years. It wasn't every other weekend, uh, maybe, you know, once once every three weeks he would show up on the weekend and spend time with that family, our family, and then he disappears again uh, for another two, three weeks, and then he comes back, and that was, that carried on for quite a number of years, I think. He finally sort of disappeared out of our lives when I was about uh, 10, 10, 11 Years old. While Jürgen grew up in a broken post-war Germany, Sean was on the other side of the world, experiencing a very different childhood. I was born and raised early on in Minnesota. I was just kind of in an average family. We were in the Lutheran church, so church was definitely a part of my early years. But I can tell you from an early Early on, I was just, I hated church. I just hated going to church. Just there was nothing about it that really pulled me in. And later in life, I realized that was mainly just because it was just a, just something we did. It wasn't tied to any relationship with Jesus or any personal, any connection with the Lord. It was just going and kind of doing a traditional thing. But I had a, a great family growing up, an older brother who's really into sports, and I got into swimming and things like that when I was young competitively. I remember when I was about nine years old, my uncle, who was my, my dad's younger brother, had been in the Vietnam War. He was at that age, and when he came back, like a lot of the Vietnam vets and stuff, they just kind of... I think they were questioning a lot of life. And he kind of went a little wild. And and I remember he traveled out to California and came back. And at some point along the way, he ended up giving his heart to, to the Lord. And that was kind of during that time when a lot of young people were coming to Jesus. And so he was very evangelistic in our family. He was trying to tell everybody, you know, about having a personal relationship with Jesus and how it had changed his life. And at one point, they had invited us to come to their church down in the cities. And so my grandparents, my uncle and his family and our family, we all went to visit this church. Thinking back now, I was only nine at the time. But, you know, you can pick up a lot of vibes when you're a little kid. And I know that I think everybody was pretty apprehensive and a little cynical. Like, what is this weird stuff that, you know, my uncle was into? So I was sitting there in the service, and that was the first time looking back that the Holy Spirit really 
touched my heart. And I didn't know at the time really what was happening, but I remember they gave an altar call at the end of the message. And I wanted so much to go forward and give my heart to Jesus, but I didn't because I kind of knew that everybody, nobody approved of it, like none of my relatives. And I wasn't quite sure what my parents thought. They probably would have been fine, but I was really aware of the rest of the relatives and that they were looking down on all of that. And I just really felt pressure not to go do that. And I remember like regretting that. Now, even though much of their early lives was fairly different, there were also some strong similarities in both Sean and Jürgen's childhood church experiences. So in, in Germany, the, the time that I grew up in, it was noted in your birth certificate. You were either Lutheran or Catholic. That was it. And then from that point on, you just basically grow into that. Just never really sat well with me, not in a sense that I was rebellious, but in a sense that I felt very uncomfortable, out of place, not really knowing exactly how I fit. Where this comes around is when uh, growing up in the Lutheran church and hearing about God, hearing about Jesus, uh, there was no real salvation message there. And that absence of a salvation message left me wondering, well, is there actually more? There, there should be more. You know, if we're talking about God, if we're talking about Jesus, um, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so sad? Now, of course, you know, you could argue that, well, that's because of your upbringing. You know, you're growing up without a father in, in your life that gives you guidance and all of those things. But it, it went much, much deeper. We had a we had a building that was used for, for uh, youth events. Uh, I had an upstairs, downstairs, and I was just we were planning some event and I, I came downstairs and I was thinking, why do I still feel so empty? There has to be more. And that was sort of the, the, the beginning of me seeking something else. If someone had asked you, tell me who Jesus is and what he has done, could you have articulated? Not, not, in, a, not in a gospel sense, you know, him being the savior and really the, uh, the one who is the conduit or the, the, the way to God the Father. Growing up, um, we heard a lot of messages about sort of like a social gospel more than anything, right? Yeah, Jesus is the one who is there for you and uh, takes care of you and all these kind of things, but not, hey, he's your savior. And unless you have a deep relationship as your savior, you're not going anywhere. So no, uh, not, not really, not really. And if you know a little bit about Lutheran theology, there is this sort of like this liberal thinking, you know, they're bringing in all kinds of other concepts. And I don't want to do injustice to uh, Lutheran believers and followers of Christ, but this is the way how it played out in my life. Uh, if you think about the, uh, the German theologians, there's, there's some very liberal concept and thinking uh, if you get deeper into that. And, and that obviously plays out in the Lutheran church in some ways, or at least it did during the time that I grew up in. As Jürgen and Sean reached their teenage years, both of them drifted further away from God in their personal lives. But during this time, Sean's father got saved in a rather dramatic fashion, and things in their home began to change very quickly. But Sean didn't really care for this new direction. Things began to change, and we quickly moved from Minnesota out to California to a job that my dad took. And then we moved from there back to Texas at that point. And we were down by round, we actually, we were in Round Rock and that was in like 1978. So it was very tiny back then. It was just a round rock in the, in the creek. And it was so small that, you know, old men were playing dominoes in 
downtown and there were actually tumbleweeds going down the thing. And I was like, where have we landed? We were in Southern California, the beach scene. I was loving it. And then now we're in the middle of Hicksville and it was the summertime and it was so hot. I just hated it so much. But the Lord really used that because I, my, my brother by this time, he had gotten saved and he was in Dallas going to Christ for the Nations Bible College and he would come home on the weekends and bring friends of his home and they were all just excited about the Lord and talking about all the things they were experiencing and that was really a lot of seed planting for me because by this time my heart had really hardened and I had become a very prideful person. I prided myself in that I was non-emotional and I I never cried and I was very kind of hardened and that was kind of the identity that I was taking on. And there was a girl in my school, I was in ninth grade at this point and I was 15 and um, she had an identical twin sister and they were really, really rough. Like they were taking drugs and just, they always looked like, they just looked rough. And one of the sisters actually gave her heart to the Lord. She got saved in a Baptist church and she made a, just a change. I watched her become like a totally different person in a very short period of time to the point where she didn't even look like her twin sister anymore. And she was just going around and inviting everybody to church and very outgoing. And she invited me to come to their church. And the Holy Spirit was just really moving in that service that night. There were a lot of teenagers that came to visit. There were a lot of people praying for me. And for me, it was just a really dramatic salvation. I went into the back where they invited us to come and pray. And I just started crying. And I cried for about an hour straight, just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I knew it was because the Lord was just, I just felt His presence. And it was a true repentance. Like I was really agonizing over the fact that I had been rejecting the Lord. And it was just responding to His touch and His move in me. Just as God had worked through one of Sean's friends to reveal himself to her, God had also placed a similar person in Jürgen's path, but he didn't know it yet. A strong interest in music had led Jürgen to begin touring Germany with a Christian band. But even though he was writing and singing songs about Christ's love and hope, Jürgen felt empty. That emptiness just continued on even while we were traveling, doing these concerts. The path that we had taken was more along the lines of promoting the gospel, you know, talking about the gospel, talking about a deeper relationship, even though my relationship with Christ was still on the surface. There was still this emptiness there. There was still something there that I couldn't quite figure out. There was nobody else there who explained this to me, what was going on in myself, even though the Holy Spirit was just preparing me step by step, you know, it was all in front of me, but not in a way where I was going, Yes, I need to give my life to the Lord. That didn't come until one of the band members, he was actually a professing Christian, had this relationship. He was going to a non-Lutheran, a non-denominational church. And so he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was saved and all of that. And he and I, we, we had, we started having conversations about that. And it wasn't until he invited me to a uh, weekend conference event that his church put on. And so we went to this retreat place there for the very first time I heard the full gospel message. 
And that finally clicked with me. That is when I gave my life to the Lord. And uh, interestingly enough, at that retreat, there was, a, there was an indoor swimming pool. And so it wasn't just giving my life to the Lord, but I got baptized that weekend as well. And that was in 1980. Jurgen and Sean were still on separate continents, but they had both placed their faith in the same God a faith that would lead both of them into ministries that they couldn't yet imagine. But even as their individual focuses had turned to serving the Lord, God was sending them on a collision course towards each other, which you'll hear about right after the break. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing. And their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, 
visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Welcome back to Compelled. We've been listening to Jürgen and Sean describe their lives growing up in Germany and America, respectively. After giving both of their lives to the Lord, Jürgen and Sean quickly found opportunities to bring the gospel to others. Sean followed her parents over to Australia, where through a quirk in the law, they were able to teach the Bible in the public schools. Meanwhile, Jürgen had begun working with a humanitarian organization, which he quickly realized was also smuggling Bibles into the Soviet Union. And Jürgen himself eventually joined over 20 of those smuggling expeditions. Now, there's a bunch of cool stories of God's faithfulness in both of those endeavors that could be an episode all on their own. But we're going to fast forward to 1987. Some of the volunteers that Jürgen was working with at the time had graduated from Christ for the Nation's Bible College in Dallas, Texas, the same school that Sean's parents had graduated from and where she had just relocated. I got to know people from Christ for the Nations. That was the next step, sort of the next dimension in being exposed to something else outside of what I had grown up in, the Lutheran Church. And by, by that time, I had joined a, a non-denominational spiritual church. But now I got exposed to sort of like this American flavor, you know, uh, much more freedom, much more Holy Spirit focused. And these guys were just absolutely amazing. And that intrigued me. And so that started me thinking, well, how about going to Bible school when I'm done? And I didn't have a lot of money. So I applied for a full scholarship at Christ for the Nations. That is when then I packed up. And uh, 1987, when I moved to the United States to go attend Christ for the Nations. So I've come back from Australia at this point, and I didn't have any money when I came back. So I just moved back to the college campus and they had alumni housing. I didn't have a car, so I had to work on campus. So I worked in the cafeteria in the men's dorm. So I met lots and lots of young single guys, and I had been boy crazy since I was a very little girl (laughs) and always wanted to get married. That was my big goal in life was to get married. And so through meeting all these different guys, I, I actually got to a point where I decided I was going to remain single my whole life because every time I was interested in a guy or kind of starting a relationship. I don't know. I just kind of got derailed on where I was going. And I finally just thought, you know what? I'm just going to totally dedicate my life to the Lord. I'm going to be an overseas missionary. I really wanted to live overseas. And I thought if I could have an instrument that I could take with me, portable, that would be really practical. So I, I knew a little bit of guitar, but I wanted to find a teacher. And so one of the young men that I had met from South Africa, I was asking if he knew anyone who could teach guitar. And he said, well, I met this guy from Germany. We were supposed to be roommates and that ended up not panning out, but I know that he was teaching guitar in Germany. Would you like me to ask if he might be interested in teaching you? Yeah. And so this roommate, he just uh, approached me one day and said, hey, I have this friend of mine. She wants to learn to play the guitar. Would you be open to that? And so, sure. Yeah, why not? I agreed to meet with her. I went to the cafeteria, went through the door, and there was this 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 young lady who just sort of like in a in a 
almost like a rude way, jumped ahead of me through the door, you know, and I was kind of taken aback a little bit and I was going, oh, that was kind of strange. Maybe that's how Americans do it, and I don't know. I was very German-like, really. So I walked in, and there sits this young lady who just rushed in front of me, pushed me almost over. And I have to add that I saw him because I did. I was running a little late, and I was thinking to myself, he's German, so he's going to be really punctual. I don't want to, like have a bad impression so I saw this guy we were coming up to the door almost at the same time and I thought I'll just scoop past him and I felt a little rude and I thought that was a little rude but I just went on in and then when I saw who it was I was thinking oh my word this is the guy I was just rude to and now he's got this impression of me that I'm just this rude girl (laughs) stereotypical American rude brash noisy we started off already on a bad foot (laughs) no that was that was uh, that was totally fine I think uh, very quickly I just saw that she had this this quality to her that I didn't see in any of the other girls that I had met and talked to to that point and so yeah I was taken aback I mean that that was really really great we started lessons and I right away thought this is this guy is so unique he was not like any other guy he was gentle I noticed he was a very gentle person he was kind I could tell he was very intelligent and so each week I was found by myself thinking about him and then telling myself don't think about this guy we're not gonna have any kind of relationship and Prior to this, back in the day when I thought that I had wanted to get married, I remember hearing girls at the Bible college, the 20-something-year-olds that were older than me, talking about, oh, you should make yourself a list of all the things, the qualities that you would look for in a husband, you know, and then wait for that right man to come along. And I had actually done one of these lists. I had like 16 items on this list. And I remember at one point somebody telling me, you know, that kind of guy does not exist. Just don't wait for somebody like that because you're never going to find him. But when I talked with Jurgen, it was like every single thing on the list was ticked off. And he was just like, I can't believe this guy. And I thought to myself, this is the man I'm going to marry. And I thought, of course, I'm not going to tell him that I'm thinking that. But I went home and I actually called my mom. It was like 11.30 at night, and I called her and I said, I just met the man I'm going to marry. And I kind of half expected her to say, oh, you know, here we go again. She, you know, (laughs) but she didn't. She just listened and she said, well, that's interesting, you know, and we'll see where that goes. And so after that, Jurgen and I just started, I think it wasn't after more than another lesson or two that he asked me out on our first date. Yeah, I'm always remembering uh, we only had three lessons and then we started dating. And, and then that... I never had any more lessons after that. <laughs> uh, I think the activities changed. And then from there, it just continued. Um, we just hung out every chance we could get and just our relationship grew really strong and really fast. And it was amazing. It was amazing to me that the Lord had, and I still think back to that, that Jurgen grew up in a completely different continent than I did and how the Lord brought us together and fitted us so well. I mean, we were just soulmates right from the beginning. Once Jurgen and Sean began dating, they were inseparable. Their relationship quickly grew and became quite serious. And after a short but very difficult time apart, while Sean served at an orphanage in Haiti, Jurgen surprised her with a proposal the same day that she arrived back in the States. Then in 1990, after being married for only a little over a year, Jurgen and Sean moved back to Europe 
to serve a growing Christian community. By that time in 1990, the uh, Berlin Wall had come down and that opened up a lot of doors in the countries that I previously had visited, all the churches there. They had such a need for being taught praise and worship and that was on our heart. And so we uh, traveled uh, during those three years over in uh, Eastern Europe, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, uh, Czechoslovakia to do concerts and to do uh, seminars on praise and worship. So coming back then in 93 to help Sean's parents with their company, we then basically just got reestablished here in, in, in the United States and bought a house and the typical married thing, you know, going to church and being involved in ministry uh, here and there. I think at that point, we were always hoping that we could start a family. Yeah. Before we moved back, we did get pregnant once, but very early on in um, the pregnancy, I had a miscarriage. And then we just sort of, we weren't actually trying to start a family yet at that point. So we just sort of assumed that would happen easily when we were trying And it didn't. And year after year went by and we were okay in the beginning. We were very content just being a couple and just always felt very fulfilled in just our marriage. But after, I guess maybe after 10 years of marriage, you know, we were really, really wanting to start a family and it just wasn't happening. And then we began at one point to think maybe about adoption But every time we would check that out, it just, we would end up discouraged. Either it was just, the cost was just so high that we just couldn't afford that. The whole process of trying to adopt, it just always felt cumbersome. It never felt quite right. We could never agree on or or really come to, to a place of peace of where would we adopt from. We really didn't think we wanted to adopt locally. Like the thought of an open adoption, we were not quite sure if we felt comfortable with that. And so it was one of those things that we just kept praying that the Lord would, you know, give us children, and it just wasn't happening. This strong desire for children only continued to grow as time went on. But along with the challenges that they faced in trying to adopt, at the age of 37, Jürgen was unexpectedly diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Jürgen and Sean's priorities shifted quickly as they faced the uncertainties of Jürgen's health and future. A future we'll hear more about right after the break. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative boots on the ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. 
but it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations, and their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Welcome back to Compelled. The surprise cancer diagnosis and subsequent treatment that Jurgen went through was a faith-building time for the Becks. But praise God, the cancer was removed and Jurgen's body was healed. As they shifted back into regular life again, both Jurgen and Sean still wanted to start a family, but nothing seemed to be working out. I was starting to really get that real mothering desire and it would kind of come in waves and for a couple of months I'd be so sad wanting a child and then I'd be okay. And We had uh, talked with friends in Ukraine because they had connections in Ukraine to uh, potentially adopt a child from there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That's what we and had And we pursued. were thinking overseas. And, right. and I had actually told this woman at the time, I said, we are not really interested. Or we, we don't think that we want to pursue a local adoption because normally that would mean an open adoption with contact. And we weren't really sure if we were comfortable with that. And so we were thinking about adopting from overseas. I was working for my parents yet at the company that when we came back to help them out, Jurgen had moved on to doing some contracting work and things, but I stayed at the company. And I had a position that I needed to fill. And one of the ladies in our company said, well, I met this young woman. She's a single mom. She's looking for a job. Would you be interested in interviewing her? So I said, sure, have her come in. So this young woman came in and I decided to hire her. And I could tell on that first day that she was not feeling well. She had to sit down a few times. And towards afternoon, it just this thought came to me. I thought, I think she might be pregnant. And I was concerned because the position that I was hiring for required a lot of standing, a lot of lifting, bending, and those types of things. It wasn't really a good position to have a pregnant woman in. So I just, I thought I better just actually ask her. And so I, at one point, I just said, are you by any chance pregnant? Her eyes got a little big, like, how did you know? And she said, well, yes, actually. And then I'm actually scheduled to have an abortion um, like at the end of the week. So I would be okay to work. And I right away was thinking, oh my goodness. And I just kind of quickly prayed under my breath, Lord, what should I do? What should I say? 
And, um, and I just, I asked her, would you like to talk about that at all? And she said, yes, I would. So I took her into one of our unused offices and we just had a great conversation. We talked for about three hours. I asked her about her plans to abort and um, just not to keep her baby and why she felt that the need to not keep her baby. She said it was a very difficult situation she was in. She already had two small children she was trying to raise on her own. Her husband uh, or the children's father had left and and she just felt really overwhelmed. And I started talking to her and she was very open. I was really just talking to her about the Lord. And and she was very open, um, very receptive. Um, I talked with her about, you know, would you possibly consider a different alternative? I said, you know, the Lord knows that child that you're carrying, the Lord has a plan for that child. And that child is precious to him. That life is precious to him. And, and I don't think that he would want you to end that child's life. I think that there would be alternatives. Um, said there's plenty, there are plenty of people that would come alongside you and help support you if you decided to keep your baby or there's adoption. Have you ever thought about adoption? And they said, you know, we could always help you if you if you wanted to pursue that, we could help set you up with, you know, even Christian adoption agencies that would find some really wonderful parents to raise your child. So anyway, I just I was up almost the whole night and and by morning I just was settled that I just was not going to keep her on regardless and I talked with her and she understood. And so we parted on good in a on good terms and I was really praying for this woman and her situation. I didn't know what she was going to decide about her child. The Lord gave me two dreams that I know were really from the Lord and I don't get those very often, just a couple of times in my life. But in my dream, there was a child running and there was a tornado coming from behind. And I saw this child. And as I was running with a group of people, I just swept this child up in my arms and we were safe. Then the Lord, I don't know what happened in the dream, but that somehow that child was not taken by this tornado. And at the time, I didn't think a lot about what I just thought that was an interesting dream. And it was so realistic. And I knew there was something spiritual about that, but I wasn't exactly sure. And then I fell asleep and I had a second dream that Jurgen and I were holding a little girl baby. She, I knew because she had pink on and she was a little pink blanket. And we knew that was our child. And I, I had just such a happy feeling. And I woke up from that and I thought, oh, it was just like that child was our child. And the Lord in my dream allowed me to pick up that child and kept her safe. These vivid dreams reminded Sean that God still had a plan in store, yet she didn't know what it was. Then a couple months passed when Sean realized that she was still thinking about the young lady that she had met. This was the beginning of January uh, when this all happened. And then I think it was March. I was thinking about this woman that I had met that I had hired and not kept at the job. And I did have her phone number and I thought of her off and on. So I was off of work one day and I thought, I'm just going to call her and just see what she ended up deciding to do. Did she, you know, decide to keep her baby or what happened? And so when I got a hold of her, 
I said, you know, I was just been thinking about you and praying for you. And I was just curious what you ever decided to do. And she said, oh, I decided that I'm going to place my baby for adoption. And she had actually already contacted an adoption agency and had started the paperwork with all of that. And so I got off the phone with her and it was all of a sudden like this light bulb came on and I thought, maybe we're supposed to adopt her baby. And I thought, oh, that would be strange. She might think that's weird if I come back after I encouraged her maybe to place her baby, you know, not to end her baby's life, but to rather have someone else adopt her baby. And I thought maybe she'll think I was trying to sort of set that up or I wasn't quite sure if that would be okay to talk with her. But before Sean called her back, she asked Jurgen to see what he thought. Did he think it would come across the wrong way or look like they were just trying to be self-serving? The moment that the first call that she that she placed where Sean found out that the lady had decided to place the baby for adoption, that already was sort of an indication, well, thank you, Lord, for doing that. You know, and his guidance and his leading was already very apparent in that. And so he would write the rest of the story, of course, you know, and that was just uh, another chapter, another page. You know, you turn it and you go, you read it, uh, the context there and you go, yep, Lord, that, yep, right there. That, you did it. I think to me, that was just fact. Yeah, as a German thinker, you know, that's just, that was logical. I mean, the Lord lined this up, you know, and yep, of course, why wouldn't he? do it that way. You, you weren't know? on pins and needles? No, just No, no. I mean, I didn't know what uh, what that would, uh, conversation would end up being, you know, but it certainly didn't surprise me, you know, because the Lord already had, we already had recognized that, you know, that the Lord had done something uh, quite interesting. Yeah, Jürgen said, that's the only thing that seems right. And out of all the gears that we had kept trying to figure out how we could go about it, it just felt right. So he said, call her and talk with her. So I called her and I was, I didn't know how to broach the subject. How do you bring this up? I didn't know if she would feel awkward. And so I just said, there's just something that my husband and I were wanting to ask you. And I kind of was going back and forth. And she said, just ask your question, whatever it is. And so I said, well, would you possibly consider my husband and I to adopt your baby? And she screamed into the phone and she said, yes, yes. She said, I thought of you when I talked with you the first time. And I wanted to ask you right after that, but she said, you had mentioned that you didn't want to do an open adoption. And I know that I want to have some contact with my child and know what my child is, you know, what's happening. And she said, and oh, by the way, I am having a girl, which is exactly what I felt like the Lord had shown me. And so this was now March and the baby was due in July. We just kind of went into, you know, overdrive trying to start preparing for, you know, this little baby to enter the world. Sean was, um, was allowed to be in the, uh, in the birthing room. Do you, remember, do you remember getting the phone call like, oh, she's in labor or was it like pre-scheduled? No, no, no. It was pre-scheduled because she had to, she had to go through a C-section. And uh, so Sean was allowed to be in the, uh, in the delivery room, uh, was the first one to hold the baby. They handed her to her and I was the first one to give her her first bottle as well. So I was allowed to participate in that as well. She was really generous in that she allowed us to name the baby. She said, I could, but she's going to be your baby. So, and we already knew that we wanted her middle name to be Grace because 
This was just God's grace the whole way through how he caused our paths to meet where we were able to talk with one another, kind of form a little relationship that she chose life for her child. Uh, so Annie, we call her Annie. Our, our daughter is Annie, but uh, her nickname, but her full name is Ariana Grace, and it means God's most holy grace. And so um, Annie was born at, on, at the beginning of July that year and just was such a beautiful blessing to us. Even though Sean was not able to physically deliver Annie into the world, God had used her to deliver Annie from abortion and to speak life to Annie's birth mother. The life that Jurgen and Sean now held in their hands was a direct result of Sean following the nudge she felt to talk to this woman. But while Annie felt like their own child already, Jurgen and Sean were soon met with a challenge that threatened to rip this little one back out of their lives. When the day came to pick up the baby, the second day, so we went down there to the hospital, and so we drove home with Annie while her birth mother was still in the hospital recuperating. And uh, all along, none of the papers were signed by the birth mother. So that's important to know it because you can't just, you know, sign over before even the birth. Apparently that's not a thing. But we were allowed to take the baby home, had her here, and then was the third day, I believe? No, it was it was after two weeks. Annie uh, was, two weeks? Annie oh, was yeah, with us right. for two weeks. Yeah, uh, I get a phone call from the attorney saying, I have a little bit of bad news to tell you. The mother just called me this morning and she told me that uh, she wouldn't sign the relinquishment papers. So she wanted the baby back. But getting that phone call and getting that message that felt like someone just died. Um, how do you react to that? You had this tiny little being with I mean, you. To and us, she was our daughter. That, like, yeah, uh, just, I mean, fully, you know. Yeah, there wasn't a physical birth, but you, you had prepared and you had committed so much to this. And so Sean was gone. I didn't want to tell her until she would come home. While this was all going on, in a relatively short period of time, the Lord had done something absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. What our daughter's birth mother told me later, she had met this woman who had been in her same situation 12 years earlier. She had had a little girl and she was in a situation where she couldn't keep her and there was a couple that had come and adopted her baby. I, I guess she got our daughter's mother's address and showed up at her door that same morning and said, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to come and talk to you today. She was surprised and she said, well, this is what I've just done. I've just called and said that I want to have her back. And she felt guilty. She felt it was wrong, the wrong thing that she had done that that I think there was some pressure from the family guilting her into saying you should have kept the baby and been responsible in that way. And so when this woman showed up at her door and encouraged her and said, I think you should follow through with your original plan. I think this is what the Lord would have you do. And that's why he sent me to you today. Then she, then that same day, we got another call from the attorney that said, she's just come in and signed the papers. And so then we found out the story later, what had actually transpired behind the scenes. Wow. And so even there, the Lord just did a miracle by sending this woman to her at just that 
right time. And so we were able to keep our fanny and yeah, that was just a, another amazing miracle. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're definitely grateful to the Lord for his working on uh, that lady's heart to go and talk to her and, and grateful to the lady for listening to the Lord and being yeah. obedient to that because how often do you do that? You know, mm. you don't just show up at somebody's door and saying, hey, the Lord told me to talk to you, you know. That's uh, very socially awkward. Oh, yes, totally, yes. totally, yeah. And and the timing, the timing, you know, I mean, how that do you arrange day. that? Yeah, yeah, that day when all of this took place. And that's why I said earlier, this all happened within a very short Within time a few frame. hours yeah. because by the time I got home, it had already been reconciled. I mean, I didn't know any of it had happened. So by the time I got home, Jurgen told me what had first happened. And then the second call he got saying, it's everything's okay. As we wrapped up our time together, I asked Jurgen and Sean to share some practical advice on how we as Christians can be helpful to adopt parents in our lives, no matter what point in the journey they're on. For somebody who's praying for perspective adoptive parents, you know, asking yourself, how can I be a support to them? Not just pray for them, but really ask the Lord what he would want you, what role he would want you to play in that adoptive family's life. Uh, Could be just prayer, could be just checking in with them ever so often. Hey, how is it going? Uh, Do you need anything? encouraging them, affirming them, because in some ways it's a very joyous journey but it's also a very strenuous journey. Also realizing that just the actual beginning processes and the beginning of adoption is just a very small part of the story, as it is with any family. I mean, when you you have a new baby, it's different than where you're going to be when they are, you know, six years old or when they're 12 years old or 15 years old. And I think for adoptive children, adoptive families, being aware that some of these things that the kids go through, even naturally as they get older, they can just be amplified when the child is adopted. Um, Some children don't really struggle, but other children can struggle a lot with anger and bitterness and resentment and abandonment, which creates anger. And children can be tough to love through that when they're really acting out. So just encouraging and, you know, come alongside and just saying what's going on, you know, just being a sounding board even to allow somebody to just express in confidence some of the hard things that you're walking through. We often see, um, especially in the Christian community, we think of adoption as, oh, it's such a beautiful thing. And it's, it's a picture of you know God's love for us because we're adopted into his family and that's all true but when you actually talk to adopted children they often will say they don't actually see it as a beautiful thing they see it as a loss and there's a lot of pain that accompanies the good things as well they will acknowledge that and but it isn't all just happy for them and the lord with all of that can use all of that to weave together the story of our children and our families. I was reading um, a poem from an old book, Streams in the Desert, and there's a, a beautiful image in there that talks about a tapestry being sewn, and from the back, the tapestry looks like just a bunch of tangled mess of strings. But when you turn it over and look at the front side, you see a beautiful masterpiece that's been created. 
And I think oftentimes with adoptive families, that's a good um, illustration that it can feel very messy at times, very tangled, very, this is not the picture that I envisioned of our family being or for for my child to, to experience. And yet over time, as the Lord continues to weave the story, you start to see that there's actually something to it. There's a real beauty and there's a real picture being formed. I appreciate both of you guys taking the time out of your day to do this and share the story. It was a pleasure. It was really enjoyable. And thank you for letting us share, you know, the things the Lord has done in our lives. It's, it's, it feels really nice to be able to give the Lord glory for those Mm. amazing, Mm -hmm. all the ways that he moves and, and guides our lives. I really think that Sean's analogy at the end about a tapestry is really fitting. There were so many different moving parts to Jürgen and Sean's lives individually. While Jürgen was smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe, he had no idea that his future wife was teaching Bible classes in Australia. And yet God was using both of those experiences to shape and mold who they would become. And who would have guessed that when Sean showed up to work one day to meet a brand new employee, she would end up encouraging that mother to choose life and in the process, end up saving the life of her very own daughter. And yet that is exactly how God works. Even today, things may be going on in your life that you think are inconsequential or meaningless or annoying, and yet God is orchestrating everything around us. And maybe you'll find out about his bigger plan while still here on earth, but perhaps not until eternity. But one thing is for certain, God is at work. I'm reminded of Lamentations 3.37, which says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. And in case you're wondering, Annie is now a young woman. And just a couple months ago, she graduated from high school and is now embarking on a new chapter of her life. And by the way, fun fact, Jürgen is actually a film composer. That's how he and I originally met, and Jürgen actually composed the score to a short film that I produced many years ago. Head over to compiledpodcast.com, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll include links to Jürgen's website, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more. Also, you've probably noticed that we always have a listener introduction at the beginning of our episodes. If you'd like to record an introduction and hear your voice on a future Compelled episode, then send us your recording. Just visit compiledpodcast.com slash introduction and follow the instructions. Again, that's compiledpodcast.com slash introduction. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from our next episode with Cheyenne Caldwell, a young firefighter struggling with how to live for God while living in the world. When suddenly, while battling a raging fire, he fell through the roof into an inferno and immediately knew he was going to die. Today's episode was edited by Will Jackson, story editing by Nathan Webster, sound engineering by Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is my dear wife, Sarah Hastings. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story two weeks from now. We'll see you then. And I walk the perimeter because that's what we're training to walk the perimeter. And then I go the left side of the building toward the rear of the building. And then I get to this wall, the division wall, that protrudes above the roof line. I step over the division wall and take one step. And I take a second step and I fall through. 
So my captain looks over and sees me go through and a ball of fire come out the hole I created. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.